We have been talking about declarations for the last couple of weeks, and um, uh, I, I just want to continue. Uh, I want to give one last uh, teaching of instruction. We're going to have a praise and worship night. I really feel like the Lord laid that on my heart to do that. And then we're going to go into a couple weeks of seeing where declarations are working in the scripture and to give some narrative um, teachings on some narratives where we see declarations really working in scripture. We've been studying Proverbs 18, uh, verses, verse 21, for the past couple weeks, and I want to revisit that verse just for a moment tonight. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And I want you to just, I need to remind you that our words have power. We need to learn to guard our mouth. We need to realize that what we speak with our mouth is important. It has power. And Proverbs 18 says it has so much power, it is the power of life and death. We might read that scripture and think, really, Lord, isn't that a little much? Really, you want me to believe that my words actually have power to bring death? <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating to me. We're, we're living in a time of a global pandemic. COVID, I, I read an article today that COVID uh, has cost the lives of 500,000 people in the U.S., As you know, Dr. Fauci and the team of doctors from the CDC and the World Health Organization have issued a warning about COVID. They're telling people it has the power of death. Have you heard that warning? And as a result, they stress the importance of wearing masks, of washing hands, of keeping a proper social distance. And as the result of their words to the people, their warning to the people, People have begun to don masks. They, some have not even left their homes in the past year because of that warning, because they took the words of Dr. Fauci and the World Health Organization so seriously that they are staying home. They believed what Dr. Fauci said. They took his warning that this could cause death, and they adhered to it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not condemning the fact that we're believing the words of those authorities. But what's so interesting to me is that we have another authority, an authority that has issued a warning about something else that can cause death. And we don't take his words nearly as seriously as we take Dr. Fauci's. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the great physician, the God who cannot lie, has told us clearly in his word that the tongue has the power of death. And yet, we've taken the the suggestion of Dr. Fauci and we've covered our mouth and we've quarantined ourselves. and yet the King of Kings has said that your tongue can cause death and we refuse to cover our mouth and quarantine our words. We just let them fly. And we've been careless. And as a result, death keeps spreading. Just like if we're careless about COVID, death will keep spreading. When we're careless about our tongue, death will keep spreading. I have a friend whose mother just recently passed away from COVID, and if you talk to her tonight, she would tell you that many of us have underestimated the power of COVID to bring death. But I want to suggest to you tonight 
that we have underestimated the power of the tongue to bring death. God's word clearly tells us that our words hold power and they can bring death. Many of you know that because some of you have grown up in homes where the words spoken over you brought death. Some of you are in relationships right now where careless words have brought death to your spirit. We even speak careless, idle words over ourselves. Self-talk is so important. We, we have to watch what we're confessing over our lives. God's truth or Satan's lies. We need to make a decision. And yet, we have these warnings and we remain careless with our words. In Matthew 11, or 12, 36, Jesus said, I, I want to read this from the message, don't even try to turn there. Uh, Matthew 12, 36, he says, let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. This is Jesus speaking. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation and words can be your damnation. Another translation says that we will have to give account for every careless word we speak. That word careless means idle. It means inoperable. The Amplified says, but I tell you in the day of judgment, men will have to give account for every idle, inoperative, non-working word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned and sentenced. We waste so many of our words. So much of our conversation is idle, filled with non-working words. So many of our words are careless. And I, I don't just think this applies to us, the words we speak over other people and about other people. I also think it's the stuff we speak over ourselves. Jesus said, our words, by our words, we, we will either be justified and acquitted or we will be condemned and sentenced. Proverbs 30, 32 says, if you have done foolishly in exalting yourself or you have thought evil, I want you to see that. If you have thought evil, lay your hand upon your mouth. Just a thought of evil. And evil there means anything that doesn't line up with God's word. Anything, that, a negative thought, a thought that, that, that doesn't equal God's word. Any, any evil that you've thought, cover your mouth. Don't let that word come out. Don't, let, don't express that because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And if you're thinking something, it is going to come across your lips. Keep a, lay your hand over your lips, Proverbs says. Because by your words, you can be sentenced. We need to monitor what is coming out of our mouths. We, we saw, we've been in Genesis 1 for several weeks, and we see over and over in that passage, Genesis is the origin, the beginning of all things. And the beginning of all things, the beginning of the universe started when God spoke words. Words have power. God's words went out and created something out of nothing. He spoke something into being with his words. Words have power. He said, let there be and there was. He called it, the Bible says, day. He called it night. He called it with his words. And I'm telling you, if there's something you're lacking in your life, you have to learn to call it. To say what God is saying about, about it, about the situation. The word confess, that, that means to say the same thing as when we confess our sin, we say the same thing as God. We call sin, sin. We call wrong, wrong. 
That's what confessing our sin means. And when we make confession over our mouth, we, we need to only, when we confess something with our mouth, we only need to say what God says. We need to be very careful that we are not confessing what the enemy says about us. The Bible says, can two walk together unless they're in agreement? We cannot walk with God unless we're in agreement with his word. And so often we come into agreement with the enemy and his word instead, and we let that evil thought come out of our mouth and we confess it. We learned last week that if you decree a thing, it'll be established to you. Watch what you're decreeing because it will be established to you. On the other hand, if you're lacking something in your life and you want to see it, uh, and find a word in God's word and plant it in your heart and begin confessing that. It's interesting to me that as we look at Genesis 1 and we see God speaking and something coming out of nothing, the Bible says that God, we serve a God who calls things that are not as though they were. That's what faith does. It calls things that are not as though they were. It says, this is not what I have in my situation, but I'm going to find God's word and have faith in it. I'm going to trust that his word is true. See, this is where we go wrong. We actually look at our circumstances and we call that truth. And there is only one truth. And it is God's word. Let God be, what's the scripture? Let God be something and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's what we have to understand is, is that if it is not saying what God is saying, it's a lie. There is only one truth we can trust and it's God's word. And we have got to grow up in our salvation. And we've got to learn that what is happening in the natural is not truth if it doesn't line up with God's word. And we need to call things that are not. This is not what's happening right here in front of me, but I am calling what's not as though it were. I'm taking God's word and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, what's the word I'm looking? Transpose it over what's happening in the natural. And I'm going to believe God's word over what I'm seeing in the natural. That's what we see in Genesis. We see God's word creating taking something that wasn't, and, and the creative power of his word speaking and calling something into being. And you and I are speaking spirits. We were created in his image and in his likeness. He is a speaking spirit. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and truth. We are spirit beings. I'm just housed in this old body. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that this body isn't what I'm stuck with the rest of my the, the eternity. I'm just a spirit. This body's just holding the spirit right now so you can see somebody and relate to it. But I am a spirit being. I'm created in God's image. And God's words are spirit and life. And I am a speaking spirit created in God's image and in his likeness. And he, he, he created me in his image and in his likeness. And he gave me dominion. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm creating man to have dominion, to rule, to reign, to use their mouth to take dominion back. And yet, we sit back idle every day and just use idle words and we expect them to be operable. Only God's word, or word is operable. And we need to start being speaking spirits and speak his word into our situation. But you see, the enemy knows all this. Can I just tell you? And, and we see already in Genesis chapter 3, he comes, he slithers into the garden and he's still speaking at that point, which I, I like that uh, because words are important. Remember, Words have the power of life and death, remember. His words had the power of death. We see it. He slithers into the garden, and the first thing he does to Adam and Eve, he gets them to question what God said to them. 
He got them to question God's word. And that's what he does to you and I because he understands the power of God's word. He understands how powerful God's word is. And if he can get you and I to doubt that word, we won't use it. And that's what he did to, to Adam and Eve in the garden. He wants, he, he wants us to doubt the reliability and the trustworthiness of God's word. But let every man be a liar and let God be truth. The Bible says that God watches over his word to perform it. That should give us all a, a lot of confidence and peace tonight. That he actually watches over his word waiting to perform it. The angels in heaven, the Bible says, hearken to his word. Get your angels working for you. Start using God's word because they hearken to his word. It gets their attention. He watches over his word to perform it. He waits for us to use his word, to come into agreement with his word. And then he says, now I can perform it because I was waiting for that to come from their mouth. In Mark 11, if you want to turn over there, I, I was going to preach on this tonight, and I just don't have time, but in Mark 11, we, we see the story of Jesus. Oh, there's so much in this. I, I, I got up early, I got up before this morning, and I started to study this, and, and I spent all my study time in this this morning, and I was like, Lord, now I can't even preach it, and it was so good. There's so much good stuff in this, but, but, but let me just summarize it for you. Jesus, is he, it's his final week of life, and he knows it, and, and who knows your final week, you, you, you want to say things that are important. If you know you're dying, you're going to leave important messages behind that week. And, and so Jesus, this is his final week of life, and, and, and he goes into the temple. And, and what strikes me about this is he goes into the temple, and, and the Bible says, look at verse, I'm going to preach it anyway, verse 11. It says, he, when he had looked around at all things, he left. I love that he goes into the temple, which is the heart of the nation of Israel. And he goes into the temple, and he looks around at all things. And then he walks out, and nobody notices him. And I said to Dave this morning, how many times does God, his presence is in the church, in the temple, and nobody even pays attention to him? And he leaves and he comes back the, the next day. You know what happens the next day. He starts upsetting the tables and, and he clears the temple. And he was pretty angry. He said, this, my house should be a house of prayer. <laughs> You're misleading people here. They should come here and be able to encounter me. And it's not. It's, it's void. It's empty. It's nothing anymore. It's a facade. And he's angry. And that's when he curses the fig tree. You remember the story? He curses the fig tree. It's full of leaves. But it says it's not the season for fruit. And so I've always thought, Lord, why would you do that? It's not even the season for fruit. You're looking for it. You couldn't find it. Do you know why? Because it gave the appearance of fruit. It looked good. It was full of green leaves. And it gave the appearance of fruitfulness. But there was none on it. And Jesus cursed it. And it was right after he came out of the temple. And I think it's because his church has given the appearance of fruit, but there's nothing on us. We're looking good. We're, we're putting on a good act, but there's nothing real and, and valuable and, and fruitful in us. And look what he did to the fig tree. Look what he did to the temple. 
And it's from there that the, the disciples come back and they see the tree. Jesus just said curse. It was no big deal. It wasn't this big show. He goes on with his day. They come back and the, the fig tree is withered at, at the root. And the disciples are blown away. The power of words. Because Jesus said cursed. It dies. It withers at the root. The power of words. And here's his reply. They're amazed, and Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Here's the answer. Here's the answer to your words having power. Just have faith in God. Have faith in his words. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, because remember, James said, if any man asks God for something and doubts, <laughs> that man is like a wave tossed in the sea, and that man should not believe he'll receive anything from God. See, we can't doubt. If you ask and you not doubt, but believes that the things he says, somebody say says, not thinks, says, but believes the things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Somebody says says again. If you have your Bible, circle those says because it's important that we say it. But if you believe that you already have it, now, well, it's not, I want a car, I'm going to get a car, I want a Cadillac, I, I, I would really like a land, land, no, Land Rover, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I don't need a Lamborghini, I just want a big old Land Rover. And I believe I'm going to get it, that's not what it means. If you ask anything according to his will, what is his will? His word. This is not a name it and claim it kind of teaching. This is a believe God's word and receive it. Because God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. When he says something, he means it. Let, let God be true and every man a liar. God's word is true. If he says something, we can believe it. We can stand on it. Let everything else fade away. What is happening in front of you is not truth. God's word is truth. It's truth. And he says, if you don't doubt in your heart, but you believe those things that you say, you shall have it. Because God watches over his word to perform it. We talked last week about how nothing in James in John chapter 1, it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things came to being through Him. And apart from Him, apart from the Word, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. The Word is what brings things into being. Nothing, not even one thing was created without the Word. God's word is powerful, and yet we choose to believe the word of man over the word of God. John 6, 63 says, this is Jesus speaking. He said, the words I speak to you, this word right here, their spirit and their life. He said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. I really like, there's another translation. It says, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives life. That which is of the natural realm is of no help. The words I speak to you are spirit and life, but there are still some of you who won't believe. The words that Jesus speaks to us, this word right here is spirit and life, but there are still some of us 
who won't believe. It is a choice. I, I wanted to, to preach on Mark chapter 4 uh, tonight, you know, where Jesus is and the disciples are getting into the boat and Jesus said, we're going to cross over to the other side. Do you know, remember the story? And then a ferocious storm arises and Jesus is asleep in the, in the boat. Remember the story? And the disciples are panicking and they're like, Jesus, don't you even care about us? Don't you care that we're going to die? They wake him up and they say that. And he says, peace be still. And then he says to them, why are you afraid? Why do you still have so little faith? Do you know why? Because Jesus' word to them was, going to cross over to the other side and who knows that Jesus means what he says let God be true and every man a liar (laughs) that his word is truth and so when he said to the disciples you're going to cross over to the other side he meant it storm or no storm you're going to make it to the other side but the disciples they saw the storm they saw the circumstances in the natural and they begin to panic and they start listening to to the lie of the enemy we're going to die They should have said, no, Jesus said we're crossing over. We are going to cross over. And so they wake Jesus up and they tell Jesus what Satan's telling them. We're going to die. Don't you even care if we die? That's why Jesus said, why are you afraid? I told you we're going to cross over to the other side. Why do you have so little faith? Why do you have so little total trust in me? Why would you believe what you're seeing when you have a word from me, Jesus? How many of us sitting here tonight are believing what we're seeing when we have a word from God? How many of us are running to him and saying, Jesus, don't you even care? Don't you care about my prodigal son? Don't you care about my sickness? Don't you care about my financial situation? And he's saying, why are you afraid? Why do you have so little faith? Find a word for me and stand on it, believing. Because I am the only one you can trust. You can't trust even your best friend, even your sweetest husband. You cannot trust them. You can trust me and me alone. Find a word from me. They will fail you. Your situations will fail you. I won't. Let God be true and every man a liar. Proverbs 4 said, my son, attend to my words. Incline thy ear unto my sayings, for they are life. Somebody say life. This word is life to those who find them and health to their flesh. Get that. I was talking to somebody tonight and I said, I, tell me whatever you want. Call me crazy. I don't care. Won't be the first time. But if God's word says, attend to my words because they will be life to your flesh and health to your body. I was saying to somebody tonight, I believe some sicknesses, not all, but some sicknesses are directly related to the stuff we're meditating on, thinking on, to the lies we're believing, to the stuff we've allowed in our thinking process, to the unhealed part of us that we have not gone to God's word and find health to our flesh. Hallelujah is right. Amen. His words are spirit and they contain life. When I sit with this word, I can be down. I can be discouraged. I can say to Dave, I'm I'm really feeling sad today. And I can get in this word and boom. It's like spiritual CPR. Because his words are life. And they are health to all the flesh. 
His words are spirit. I think all words are spirit. That's why when somebody says something hurtful, it goes so deep within us. Because the spirit is the deep place in us. That's why words bring death, because they go to that deep place in us. Faith comes by hearing. (laughs) Some of you have heard some horrible things spoken over you, and you're starting to have faith in those words. Maybe you were told as a little boy or a little girl, you'll never amount to anything, you're no good. You started having faith in what was said over you instead of what God says about you. We've got to watch what we're confessing. Some of us confess sickness, you're going to reap it. The Bible says, do not be deceived. Whatsoever things a man sows, that too shall he reap. All through Scripture, we see the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever I sow, I'm going to reap. Whatever seed I plant, I am going to reap. That's why gossip, be very careful. I'm just telling you, if you delight in gossip, uh, be not deceived. Whatsoever things a man sows, that too shall he reap. Unforgiveness, you're sowing unforgiveness. Oh, be not deceived. Whatsoever things a man sows, that too shall he reap. Count on the fact that you're going to need forgiven for something and they're not going to want to forgive you because you've sown that in your life. The word of God is seed that needs to be sown. Turn over to uh, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I promise I'm finishing. Mark chapter 4. This is a very familiar story. I I, I don't even know if I'll I'll read it to you. Yes, I'm going to read it to you. Mark chapter 4. And again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, pay attention, behold, A sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell by the stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground. And it yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to him, he who has ears, let him hear. Because who knows the hearing he's talking about there isn't just here. It's hearing and obeying, applying what he just said to your life. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said, and this is what really gets me. I I can't tell you how much this bothers me. To you. It has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are on the outside, all things come in parables. To you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are on the outside, everything comes in parables. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven to them. I'm just telling you, if you're ever in a place where you're reading the Word of God and and it just doesn't make sense to you and nothing's clicking, look at your heart. Man, I'm just telling you. I'm so aware that this world is not my home. I'm so aware that this life is temporary at best. It's a vapor. 
This is not the world that we live for. You don't live for the next sale at Macy's or you don't live for the next promotion at work. You don't live for more money in the bank, for a nicer house and a better car, although I would like a Land Rover, I'm not going to lie. Those things are temporary. I'm telling you, if you are not right with Christ tonight, please don't leave here without it. Because this is serious business. We don't preach serious business anymore in church. We tickle ears and we, we give fine-sounding messages that make people feel good. But I am just telling you, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And if you think this world, see, my life has not been easy. I don't know about some of you. You might have had a peachy keen, honky-dory life. I have not. I have had a life of pain. And if this is the life that we live for, I got totally ripped off. Don't do me any favors by prolonging. Are you with me? This world isn't my home. I'm just passing through this world to get to the next one. That's the one I'm living for. That's eternal. And you see, everything we do in this world should be eternal. Every, every thought we have, every free time we have, everything should be spent investing in eternity. Because that's where we spend forever. And it's serious business. And I do not want to have eyes that see but do not see, ears that hear but do not hear. I don't want to have a heart that's so hardened that God sends his word and it doesn't even penetrate me. That I think it's bizarre or freaky. That's a hard heart that does that. That's a heart that is not in line with God's word. And this is serious business. And he's saying... Sometimes I talk in parables because those people are hardening their heart to me and they're not going to understand anyway. But to you, it's been given to understand the kingdom of God. And so he says, do not understand this parable. How then will you understand all the parables? Because this one is so important. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. I think it's Matthew who says, Jesus said that the, the seed is the word of God. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves so endure only for a time. Afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. It's interesting to me. Jesus is saying that the word of God is seed. And we know from other scripture that it's incorruptible seed. It's seed that can't ever be corrupted. It's good seed. It's seed that will always produce. You see, seeds are containers. I, I look at this. I, this came in the mail today, this week for Jill. And it's a seed catalog. She likes gardening. And what's interesting to me, if when I order a seed for a tomato, it's not going to look like this. It's going to be a teeny tiny little seed that doesn't look like anything like a tomato. 
And if I want this tomato, I'm not going to plant pumpkin seeds. Are you with me? I'm going to say, I want tomatoes. I have to plant that seed. And it doesn't look anything like this, but you see in Genesis 1, God said that every seed, every tree will have seed bearing fruit, and that seed will contain in it everything it needs to produce a tree. And that seed will keep producing over and over and over, and it will always, that little teeny tiny tomato seed has everything in it that it needs to become this. So if I want a tomato, I'm going to plant a tomato seed because seeds contain power. And while that seed doesn't, I'm not seeing a tomato from it. I'm going to plant it by faith, knowing that that tiny seed contains, it's a container of everything I need to get a, get a tomato out. Now, have you ever planted seeds? I just was a teeny tiny little seed in that ground, push all this ground on top of it. Dave stomps it down on top of that, okay? You look at that fragile seed and you're like, really? How are you going to push up through all of that ground, a teeny tiny sprout, break through the ground? But it does. Even Dave's does. Because the seeds are containers of power and they're made to produce what's inside of it. And you see, the word of God is powerful and it's a seed. He calls it a seed. And when I take that seed, and even though my life doesn't look like anything that he says it should, it's a seed. And I'm going to plant that seed in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my ministry, in my finances. And I'm going to just sit back. Step it down and wait. I'm going to water it with the word. I'm going to fertilize it with belief and faith. And I'm going to watch that thing that looks impossible produce. Because God said it would. But here's the problem. He says, my seed is incorruptible. It's in, my seed is good. My, my seed doesn't ever return void. My seed has power behind it. So if the seed is not working in our life, what do you think the problem is? Well, Jesus tells us it's the soil. I don't think this should be the parable of the sower. I think it should actually be the parable of the soils. Because the first soil is by the wayside. You know what the wayside is? It's the path that everybody uses. So what do we know about that? It's going to be trampled down. It's going to be hard and so when seed, when you're sitting in church and you have a hard heart, when you've been trampled all over in life and your heart is hard to God's word and the seed goes out and gets planted, what happens? The Bible says that the enemy comes and snatches it away because your heart's hardened. It doesn't penetrate. That's why people can say, I don't get her message. She preaches way too long. Hard soil, wayside soil. And the enemy comes and snatches it away. Because, see, he knows if you get it, there's power in that seed. And he wants to snatch it away quickly. That's why Hosea says, break up the unplowed ground of your heart. Well, how do I do that? I sow for myself righteousness. I do what's right before God. And that breaks up the unplowed ground of my heart. Get it ready for God's word. I pray almost every Monday night for the soil of your heart to be ready and prepared for the seed of the word to go forth.
The next soil is soil that's too rocky. Dave and I, when we, when we built our home, we had rocky soil. I don't know. It must have been in the, in a, it was nasty soil. Still is nasty soil, isn't it? And, and field stones, Dave says. And, and, and so when they laid the sod down, they had to come in and they had to pull up all the rocks because they knew what I didn't know because it looked like there was dirt. <laughs> But there was a thin layer of dirt and all the rest was rocks. And they knew that if they just plopped that sod on the top of it, the roots would try to go down and they would only go so far because the rocks would obstruct it. And, and, and the grass would shoot up, but the sun would come and the heat would come. And because the roots didn't go deep enough to get water from that water table, it would wither away. And see, Jesus said, my seed is good. And so when you hear the seed and you don't have deep roots, when you haven't removed the rocks in your life and gotten the things away so you can go deep with Jesus, my word is going to come and it's going to wither away the second the heat comes in your life. You're going to throw it away. It's going to wither up and, and go away. And then he said, there's another soil and it's thorny. And the thorns are there, and, and you receive the word, and you, you really like it, but the thorns, and he, he goes on and he identifies what the thorns are. Oh, Jesus, this one got me this week. The deceitfulness of riches. Longing for other things instead of his word. <laughs> Being too busy to spend time in his word will choke out the word. It'll kill it in your life. Ain't got time for that today, God. How you doing? Praise the Lord. Talk to you a little later if I can, if I can squeeze you in today. It's good seed. If it's not sprouting out in my life, then must be the soil in my heart. The last one he says is good ground, and he tells us what that looks like. He said it's people who hear, and the word for hear there is a kuo. It means to hear and obey. They don't just hear it. They say, i got to apply that to my life, and I'm going to have to obey it. It's people who accept his word, who receive it. He said, those people will have a har harvest, 30, 60, 100-fold harvest. Maybe I want that in my life. But it takes intentionality. i got to hear. i got to choose to obey what I hear. i got to choose to receive it. You know, the Gabriel uh, came to Mary, and uh, if you flip over to Luke, and I promise this is it before we close, but um, if you flip over to Luke chapter 1, uh, the, age, the, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. He comes to Mary, and, and, and he says, you know, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. This is going to be so good, Mary. Guess what? You know, here's the word that I'm going to speak to you. You're going to have a child. You're going to be uh, impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he, he's going to be the Messiah. And uh, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Uh, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. You shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be the son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And you want to just, you read that, and we know this Christmas story, and it rocks, doesn't it? But you know what you don't realize is God hasn't spoken in 400 years. All heaven has been silent. There's been no words from the prophets. There's been no words from God. All of a sudden, this angel da, 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 appears, and, and he says, guess what? You, the long-awaited Messiah, you're going to give birth to him. You're not even married. You're highly favored. Mary hears that word from Gabriel, and she says, how can this be? 
since I don't even know a man. I haven't even, I haven't been sexual with a man. How is this even going to be possible? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Oh, really? The Holy Spirit, who we've not even heard of yet, is going to come upon me. And, you know, the power of the highest is going to overshadow you. And the Holy One is going to be born unto you. And, and then he, he solidifies what he says. And he says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. That's good, except if you really knew what nothing meant. It means no thing. It means no rhema. We've talked about rhema. Rhema is the aha, the, 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 the freshly spoken word of God. There's logos and it's rhema. And logos is just, I'm reading it. It's just there on the page. Rhema is the aha, the oh my goodness, God spoke that right into my spirit. It, it is a freshly spoken word of God that comes alive to me. Leslie said to me, Rhea, you have notebooks of confessions and declarations. You need to give them out to the Bible study. I said, no, I'm not. And she said, at least give them to me. I said, no, I'm not. And she said, Rhea, that's not right. You have notebooks full of them that you could just copy for people. I said, no, I'm not going to do it because those are rhema. They have to, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the rhema of God. God has to rhema a word to you for you to hang on to it and really, because see, rhema brings belief. And nothing is impossible with rhema. When you get a rhema from God, nothing is impossible. You hang on to that, and you know it with every ounce of your being. And see, if I just handed that to you, it wouldn't be rhema. It'd be logos. For with God, nothing, no rhema is impossible. And so Mary, she got a hold of that, and she understood what he was saying because she, she said, Lord, uh, let it be to me according to your word. Guess what the word word is? Rhema. She received even what seemed impossible. See, some of you are looking at your circumstances and you're saying, impossible. I'm just saying with God, no rhema is impossible. Look for a rhema. Ask him for a rhema in your situation and hang on to that thing and say, let it be to me according to your rhema, not according to what I'm seeing in the natural. Mary could have said, I'm not married. I'm a teenager. I've never been with a man. I, I, uh, the Messiah? Really? What are people going to say when I tell them the Holy Spirit came upon me? Lord, this is impossible. But see, she got a rhema. And with God, no rhema is impossible. You see, if I want marigolds, I am going to plant what I want. I'm not going to plant tomatoes. I'm going to plant marigolds. So you need to get a rhema from God and plant it. What do you need? Do you need a fixed marriage? Do you need fixed finances? Do you need a, a, a fixed prodigal son? Get a rhema. Find a seed and plant it that pertains to your situation. You say, well, Rhea, you don't know my situation. Here's what I know. Read Matthew 6, 31. This is Jesus again. He says, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What am I going to wear? For your heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, take no thought for tomorrow. What, what strikes me with that is take no thought saying, it goes back to the, the evil thought and covering your mouth. Don't let it out. 
So take no thought saying, because our thoughts, what we're thinking on, what we're meditating on is going to come out of our mouth. That's why the Word of God says, may the meditation of my heart, what I'm meditating on, what I'm murmuring to myself, and, and the words of my mouth, let them be acceptable unto you, Lord, because that's what I'm going to confess, and that's what I'm going to see materialize in front of me. The Bible says, if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap death. If we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap a harvest. Whatsoever things a man sows, that too shall he reap. Galatians 6, 7 through 10 says, A man's harvest in life will depend entirely on what he sows. Planting. Dave's mom gave me some vinca a couple years ago. And it looked really nice where she had it, but I stuck it in with our shrubbery and some of our other plantings. And at first when I planted it, it looked pretty. And it was from Jill, so it was really special to me. And then it started growing, and it went everywhere. And it started to wrap around our shrubs, and we had to cut it off, and it would then it sprouted back up again and, and wrapped around again. And, and I, I mean, I kept looking at that being like, oh, what am I going to do with this? It's out of control. It's, it's going everywhere, and it's bringing death with it because it's killing our shrubs. And Don said he'd like to have some of it, and I was like, score, take it all. And, and so I went out one day, and I started to dig because I was like, this has got to get out of our flower beds. It's bringing death. It's going to kill our, our shrubs. And, and so I spent a long day digging that stinging vinca up out of our ground. And, and then a couple of weeks later, it started sprouting up. And I was like, oh, no, you don't. I'm getting it. It's getting out of there. And I, it took forever. It was labor intensive, and it was not fun. But it was bringing death. What was a teeny, tiny little sprout grew. That's our thoughts. It's our confessions. You see, what we plant will reap. And, and it'll take off like my vinca did. And, and some of you are sitting in that place tonight where, where it's out of control and there's nothing but chaos in your garden of life. And you want my confessions because you don't want the labor that it takes to dig it up. But you sowed that thought. You sowed that confession. And now we have to be intentional about digging that thing up so it doesn't take over and bring more death with it. If you want marigolds, plant marigolds. And I would really advise you not to plant vinca anywhere. It's hard work, but it will produce a harvest. I was raised in rural Pennsylvania, and there are farms, Amish farms, everywhere uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, and the farmers work hard to plant seeds. They're always out there with their tractors, and they're always weeding and always fertilizing. And they don't sit in their house all day and just say, you know, I'd really like to have a harvest of corn this summer. They understand that it needs to be planted in order to produce. And, and many of us are here tonight, and we're, we're longing for a harvest from the word, a harvest of peace, a harvest of joy, a harvest of provision but we've never planted the seed of faith. You say, well, Rhea, I believe in God's word. I believe the Lord is able. That's like a farmer saying, I believe that I'm going to have a harvest of corn, but never planting anything. 
We've got to plant the seed or we'll never see a harvest. Uh, we sow a seed in faith. The Bible says, now faith is the, the evident, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I saw a lilac bush in here. You know I love lilacs. I saw this beautiful, beautiful lilac tree and there's seed for it. <laughs> I was like, I want that big tree, but it's cheap because it's seed. And I'd have to wait a long time to have a tree that size. But I was like, I want that. Lila, I said to Dave, I'm ordering that. By the way, there's also wool killer in here, and I'm getting that as well. But um, I want that lilac tree, and I'm like, I am going to send for that seed because I see what I want, and I want that, so I've got to plant it. And some of you have got to start planting what you want. And this seed is not going to look anything like my lilac tree but it's the substance of things hoped for. When I plant that thing, it will be the substance of the thing I hope for, the evidence of the thing I haven't seen yet. And that's God's word. That's what we have to do. And like, like Mary, we have to choose to receive the word of God, to come into agreement with the word of God, not harden our heart to it, not let the rocks keep it from going deep, and not let the thorns and the cares of life choke it out. I'm just telling you, there is nothing in this world, nothing. I've, I've had a lot. There's nothing in this world better than him. There's nothing that will satisfy you. There's nothing that will make you more content. There's nothing that will bring you more peace. There's nothing worth more of your attention than him. I'm telling you this stuff works. It's not just me studying for a sermon. I'm telling you, it works. You've heard my story about our son Danny and how we made confession over his life. This week, our daughter Kendall called us and she was so overwhelmed in nursing school and she was crying and I said, Kendi, I'm going to get off the, off the phone and I'm going to send you a list of confessions that I want you to start speaking over your life. I, I believe this is what I teach my children. It's, it, it's what I tell my friends. It's in we, Dave and I have a friend right now we're praying for, and almost every morning we've made confessions over his life, declarations over his life. We've come into agreement, not with what we're seeing in the natural, but with what God says about it. That's how we work the word, and we've got to work the word and let it get deep within us. I'm going to ask Megan to come and close us out. Um, uh, again, next week we're going to have a, a night of worship, Please don't, don't not come. <laughs> you see, if you really understood worship, wild horses couldn't keep you away. Do you know that in Bible times, before uh, an army would go out to battle, they would send the worshipers out. There'd be no weapons in their hand. Their only weapon would be worship. I believe, as I've been seeking the Lord, as I've been praying, I believe that the, the revival that's going to be ushered in is going to come with worship. I really do. Things break off in worship. Uh, when, when I was uh, young and I was growing up in the church, we would have worship nights, healing for your heart worship nights, where we would just come and we, we just the worship would just wash over us and bring healing in our hearts. 
We enter his courts with thanksgiving and his gates with praise. There's something about praising and worship that, that, that really brings us into his presence. And so uh, I just would invite you to come and just tarry in that time of worship and, and bring your needs and, and, and just let that worship wash over you. He inhabits the praises of his people. He shows up when his people praise him. And so I encourage you to come the following week. We'll pick up back up on our declarations and just really practical uh, stories and show you how it works in the Word. So, Father, I pray for every man and woman here. I pray for your hand to be upon them. I pray that you'd open our eyes to the things of God, that you would soften our hearts to the things of God, that you would reveal yourself to us in ways that we can't even ask, think, or imagine. Lord, we're so sorry for any area of our life that we've hardened to your word. Break up the unplowed ground of our heart, Lord God. We want your word to go deep in us. We want it to produce a harvest. I pray you to awaken our souls, Lord God. And draw us deeper into you, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.